differently, right? Empowering people, using it as a self-development engine for them to be able to uh, pursue their passion and set them up for success where not only their skill set aligns with the company, but they're also extremely passionate about the mission and the, you know, the purpose of what we're bringing into the world. Um, Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for episode 11. Co-founder and president of Key, market manager of Airbnb, guides and share shed founder, Canadian G20 young entrepreneur delegate, top 30 under 30 for business in BC, serial entrepreneur, angel investor, setter of powerful intention, shaper of tomorrow. This week's guest is Daniel Dubois, and he is here to truly paint an incredible picture. We're excited to talk to him about his remarkable story thus far. And with that, let's get to the show. Welcome back. Welcome back, Sean. Wonderful to see you. Daniel, wonderful to see you also. Brilliant to have you on the show. Sean, how's things? What's new in your world? Uh, just, just lots of things. Uh, countdown coming really close with, uh, with baby number two and trying to get a lot of things finalized before that happens. Uh, cause, uh, you know, probably go silent for a couple of weeks after that, but a couple of things need to be shored up before we get there. So it's just, you know, never, no, it's never really boring when you have a little one and, you know, we're going to add to that. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's been fun, but how about yourself? Yeah, much much the same. Uh, much the same. Everyone's uh, my little boy who's three recently. He's doing the full potty training, changed room at Crash. Little Billy, who's three months old, she's doing well. She's sleeping through the night. We're back in lockdown here in uh, in Victoria. So actually, most of Australia at the moment's in lockdown. So the major cities, um, Sydney, Melbourne, and now Adelaide overnight. So we've had a bit of a COVID o- outbreak. So there's lots happening in this neck of the woods, but. Um, you know, we won't worry about getting into that too much at this point in time. Um, yeah, let's roll. Let's get into it. Let's, Excited let, for let, this Let's one. get into it. And before we, uh, you know, scare Daniel out of wanting to be a father, <laughs> let's just dive into the content that we actually want to talk about. So, yeah, I, I, uh, Daniel, um, you got a, a two-year-old a baby, but, uh, you know, a two-year-old business is very similar, right? It almost <laughs> has, I, I wouldn't want to say the same, uh, time constraints and demands, but, uh, but I'm feeling it, you know, you, uh, the thing is that the, the kid, you know, will grow up and will turn out all right. Where a business, you, you know, you, you have to you have to nurture that little baby or else it's not going anywhere. It's not growing. Oh, up and I, I cannot wait to dig into this. I really can't. And, uh, you know, before we go any further, I just want our, our listeners to know who exactly we are talking to. So uh, Daniel Dubois, uh, you know, currently co-founder. Uh, and president of Key, which is a very, very interesting housing concept uh, in Toronto right now uh, that I'm excited to talk about as well. But he's also been a market manager uh, at Airbnb, Eastern Canada, Northeastern United States, uh, you know, guides and share shed founder, uh, Canadian G20 young entrepreneurs delegate, uh, top 30 under 30 for business in BC. And I believe you were actually still well under 30 at that point as well. Uh, can't forget captain of his university basketball team uh you know once upon a time i could maybe beat this guy at basketball but that ended a long time ago offered a contract in europe to actually play basketball uh but he was focused on becoming an entrepreneur uh he's now as well an angel investor he has been a ted speaker uh a setter of very powerful intention and a shaper of tomorrow as again this week's guest is uh daniel dubois and we are really really excited to talk to him today about you know just entrepreneurship and the the, the mindset required for you know constantly innovating and constantly bringing new thoughts new ideas and new ways to you know not just stay afloat but thrive out there in the world of entrepreneurship so uh yeah daniel thank you thank you for being here Amazing. yeah hey thanks for the the nice intro here i'm really excited for our conversation yeah, well, honestly, I was, I was, as I was doing a little bit of research to find some, some things, it's, uh, you know, it's remarkable, you know, little, little background. I've known Daniel for a long time. Uh, you know, his, his older brother and I are very, very good friends. And, you know, you've seen Daniel just kind of grow, speaking at a wee day, doing these things. And it just became normal because we expected that kind of behavior from you because you were always thinking this way, it seemed like. And that's what, you know, Luke and I kind of want to start with today is like go back to, you know, the younger years and the 
forming vision, you know, how that, you know, entrepreneurial mindset came to be. Because uh, you were, you, you started your clothing lines as early as 12 years old, right? So you were, you, you were very early to get going. So what, who were your earliest influences? And when did the, the thinking start to go in this direction that you were going to work for yourself and really only do that? Yeah, you know, it's like, it goes back to the conversation of born or bred, right? And having two, uh, two parents that are both entrepreneurs. And um, my brother and I grew up in such a loving household. We we're so blessed to have the upbringing that we did have and had a mom who any spark that she identified in us that of a passion or direction that we want to go, she would just encourage us in that direction. Um, really, uh, I think a strong testament of what parenting could be, right? Of just like focusing on what people are passionate about. And, uh, you know, having, having struggled a bit in elementary school, it was something I remember my teachers worried about, but my mom would always see me as like this entrepreneur because I was going out picking moss off the train tracks in Granville Island and Falls Creek and going door to door selling it for $5 a bag at five years old, right? Like, I didn't even know what money was, but I just had this innate desire to build. Um, spending childhood, my, my summers on Quadra Island with my cousins, and we couldn't sit still. We were out just building forts. And as soon as we complete one fort, we were almost on to the next one, right? We just had that, that blood and desire to create. So really, like my passion for entrepreneurship really now has developed into a tool and mechanism to make a difference in the world and contribute and grow and chase my uh, potential. But really, when you put, peel back the onion, what really keeps me up at night um, and my innate desire is around building. It's around creation. And, uh, and that's something that I've learned in now being a leader and having built out teams of teams within organizations. When it comes to delegating and empowering someone, it's really hard to delegate something that someone isn't innately driven towards doing, right? You don't want to delegate something that someone's not super passionate about and something that they um, especially want to take on uh, outside of just being told that's something that they need to do, right? So building is that for me, no matter where I am in the world, if it wasn't entrepreneurship, it would come out in another way, shape or form. And, uh, and yeah, just once again, blessed to have the brother and parents that I had that were so supportive. The fact that, so Sean mentioned um, that my brother and, and Sean are close friends, my brother also being another Sean. Um, and, uh, you know, I've never had an argument with him, which is unheard of, I'm sure it's like a dad centric podcast. Um, it's, uh, it's probably maybe if we are closer in age, right. There's a 10 year gap, but being able to have a brother that's 10 years older than me, that's just super even keeled and so supportive and proud of anything that I'm doing has almost given me the foundation that I want to keep living up, uh, to the, to the encouragement and affirmations that I've received essentially my entire life, you know? Um, so yeah, su super fortunate and everyone has their own founding story and what drives them and some of the most powerful ones are the ones that are the exact opposite and came from extreme levels of adversity and were able to overcome that. For me, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just being a, a very blessed upbringing and a ton of support and yeah, just super grateful for the opportunity to build really like every day, the fact that it's extremely stressful, you know, at times. Uh, and then you just count your blessings. The fact that I'm in a position that I have a number of venture capitalists and investors and employees and, um, you know, the, the, the opportunity to work on a really hard business, which attracts more talent and more people buying in is, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a great time to be alive. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. You were talking a little bit earlier about, um, you know, the building of the forts and moving on to the next fort. But I was reading some stuff online. And there was a story about a lemonade stand, you know, many moons ago. I hope that article was correct. But can you talk to us a little bit about the lemonade stand and how that might have shaped some of these big moments that were to follow? Yeah, for sure. So it was Kool-Aid uh, to be specific. So I used to, I used to go out and buy Kool-Aid. Um, at first, of course, my mom would, would buy the Kool-Aid, but then I made enough money that I was uh, independent and would be able to go out and buy my own Kool-Aid and would buy it in the, you know, the bulk. In, the, in Australia, you say cordial, right? And, uh, right, here okay, like, thank you, yes. It, it's, uh, it, here is the, the, just like the powder form from Costco and um, would spend my entire summer months on the Vancouver seawall. And regardless of whatever price I would price the Kool-Aid, people would complain, right? If it was 50 cents, even 25 cents, people would complain about price. 
um, and probably just giving me a hard time, but I took it pretty serious. So instead of uh, saying, you know, 25 cents for Kool-Aid, I quickly switched to Kool-Aid for sale, pick your own price. And instantly I was getting loonies and toonies, two, two Canadian of a term, dollar, $5 bills, um, you know, and, and tips because people like the strategy. And when you empower people to make their own decisions, they're not going to cheap out for the most part. So uh, it was only rare exceptions that I ever had anything like 25 cents or less. Um, and yeah, I would, there was days that as an elementary school student that I would make $80. Um, and it got to the point that I ended up hiring other kids to, um, so we controlled all the Vancouver seawall, uh, especially on Canada day when it was Canada day and everyone came to Granville Island. We had, uh, we had that entire Island on lock. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, then as, as Sean mentioned, I was 12 years old and I was messing around on Microsoft paint and I was designing my initials. I don't know if you remember Microsoft paint, but, yes. um, I brought it into a store in Granville Island called Justin stitches. And that, I guess being grade six, I thought it'd be cool at the time if I had my initials custom embroidered into my clothing. And, uh, like, I, you know, it's hard to imagine why I want to do this, um, in hindsight, but they, you know, they laughed at me. They, they thought it was cute. And they told me that they only do wholesale, but I could buy wholesale and start a clothing line. And they're kind of joking around with this, you know, grade six elementary school students. And I took my Kool-Aid money and went back in there and I paid $500 to get the, the logo vectorized, which like, you know, you can get that done with $5 on Fiverr right now, or, you, yeah, you know, yeah. free software on the web. So $500 back then to get uh, this logo vectorized, vectorized and bought wholesale. And then instead of going door to door selling moss, I was going door to door with cardboard boxes filled with shirts and jackets and sweatpants and, you know, jean hats uh, with my initials. And instead of selling Kool-Aid for sale on the Vancouver seawall, I would do pop-up shops. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So you, very early days, you created a marketing campaign that was a bit of a cannot resist for the consumers. You doubled down and reinvested into the rest of the business and expanded on your employee footprint. I thought. And what, what I would say is back then there wasn't, there wasn't like a ton of strategy, I guess, pick your own price. You can probably Absolutely. lean into that and try to come up with, with some type of, uh, you know, narrative around tr identifying some market need. I don't know about that. I think I was just, you know, trying to figure it out. And uh, I got into high school in grade eight. I just felt like um, it would be embarrassing if I had my initials custom embroidered on clothing. Right. So I, so I stopped when I went to high school and um, just once you're bit with an entrepreneurial bug or once you have it in your DNA and you're just passionate about building and creating, it was so hard for me not expressing that. And then, I created a, a second clothing line called Martian Crew in high school. And that that was actually much more of a lifestyle brand. It, you know, it still was very much like a high school student running a company. But, uh, but we had um, people that really pumped the brand in different schools, especially my, my best friend Remy on the on the North shore, it was like Remy would bring me to a party and I was like borderline a celebrity there only because of how much he would hype Martian crew. Right. So it's almost the lesson here is I think around um, the, the form of leadership that comes from the first follower. Cause it was very much like it, it Martian crew. It's hard for me to take any almost responsibility for it, but the support network I had around Martian crew and the people that just encouraged me. And anytime we would launch a new item, it would sell out pretty much that day. Um, so yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun and it taught me a lot on, you know, a lot of lessons around brand building and having, having a logo that stands for something, um, being a part of something bigger than yourself, you know? I, I really love that. And I want to pull something from what you said that, you know, speaks to your leadership style, I imagine, right? Like you like to create a work environment where you empower people to make their own decisions. And, you know, you talked about your upbringing, uh, you know, and the, the influence that your parents had on you and just that, you know, that positivity and that push, like as opposed to, to showing what could go wrong, your parents had that mindset of what could go right, you know what I mean? And just kind of harbored 100%. that in you. And like what, what did that what, what did that do for for where you are now and the relationships that you have to make right like the, the the different types of people that you have to speak with you know to be to be not intimidated to just be yourself to you know just challenge yourself to continuously grow uh what effect did that have on your ability to do what you're doing now yeah i, I mean it, it's everything right the fact that uh my parents always focused on the the positive right and like 
not to say that they wouldn't draw, draw any boundaries, right? If they if they needed to, um, but but for the most part, they they almost didn't need to draw boundaries because I just wanted to make them proud. You know, I remember hearing as a young kid that once you become a teenager, then I, I overheard this someone talking to my mom there saying that once you become once like enjoy it while it lasts because he's going to become a teenager and then he's not going to want to hang out with you or he's not going to love his parents anymore. Some comment like that. And I remember making like a promise to myself, be like, that will never happen. I will not let that happen to my relationship with my parents. And it didn't happen. You know, um, they gave me a ton of autonomy and freedom and maybe uh, maybe that doesn't work for everyone, right? That there, there could have been the wrong uh, people that I got together with. And, um, you know, who knows um, how, how they would have reacted in that case. Good thing they didn't have to. But, um, but yeah, the fact that like entrepreneurship, you need, you need a bit of a, you know, go hard idiot gene <laughs> to be able to like have this relentless pursuit of what you're passionate about. And then you also need to have a little bit of blind optimism and I say blind optimism because it's like, it's, it's constant rejection, right? You have to be somewhat foolish to like, I've, I've probably been rejected over a thousand times. It's like, sometimes people say it's a hundred no's to get to a yes with, with key. It's probably been a thousand, right? Like the investors that we have are like true visionary. They're betting, feeling like there's a good chance they're going to lose all their money. But if it does take, it's going to eat the world. Right. And, uh, and that's, I'd be curious to dive into to their childhood, but for for me, um, being able to give myself the freedom to build and pursue this dream that I have really comes from the fact that I'm confident that if this fails, that it's on to the next thing. Um, my cousin, have you met Aaron? Du- uh, my cousin Aaron, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You guys started a laneway business together, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were 18. Um, so, so one thing that Aaron told me once, he he's great at making up these analogies, but he uh, he said, you know, if a bird lands on, he's a, a character. Branch, this this person is is quite a <laughs> yeah. character. Absolutely. Uh, he said, if a bird lands on the branch, like how much do you think the bird's worrying about the strength of that branch if it breaks or not? Because if it breaks, the bird's flying on to the next one. And and I don't know, it's probably something he doesn't even remember, but it really resonated with me in the sense that like, I, I looked around at, at Hootsuite once. Um, Hootsuite was kind enough to uh, to give me office space for my, my first uh, technology company. And um, I remember looking around going like, I'm taking all this risk in my early 20s, putting in so much work to build this when I could have a nice job at Hootsuite and be, be uh, you know, comfortable and making a lot more money. And, you know, um, and then I, and then I had this almost epiphany where I felt like th- they're actually taking a lot more risk than I'm taking, because if they're laid off tomorrow, they're dependent on find, finding somewhere else to work. You know, if like ShareShed didn't work out for whatever reason, I have, um, you know, I had 17 investors, including the CEO and founder of Hootsuite and, uh, you know, many others that would be happy to not only Ryan, Ryan Holmes of Hootsuite actually reinvested in Key or not only help me, uh, you know, start something new, but also it would just create so much more opportunity. So that's that's like a maybe a long tangent way of, of uh, going back to parenting and just being able to encourage people to pursue their passions and not to worry about failure and just know that you are enough <laughs> and you aren't the outcome of the projects that you start. And whatever happens, happens. And, uh, and just to, you know, go with the flow. And I think that's like a good rule, rule, rule book and playbook for life is just, we used to go on mystery trips. I know in particular, my, my brother uh, was being driven to a hockey game by my mom and they got lost. And instead of stressing about like the hockey game that they need to, they need to get to, um, my mom laughed it off and said, mystery trip. The next exit was for the border and they drove to the States and then made this like amazing trip happen and just totally skipped the hockey game. Right. Um, so we would, we would, that became like a thing of mystery trips. We'd get in the car and we wouldn't even know where we're going. And we'd just say like left turn, right turn straight. And next thing you know, we're, you know, spending the weekend in Victoria. Right. 
Awesome. I absolutely love that, man. Uh, the, the philosophy is absolutely brilliant. And I also like what you said about, you know, so that anybody that has like a, an itch to become an entrepreneur with what you were saying about, you know, earlier in the tangent about, you know, the amount of no's that you have to face, uh, and you are bang on in that itch. Like Luke and I are earlier in this, you know, both worked in kind of corporate fields for large companies uh, in the past, but, and you have to kind of flex some entrepreneurial muscle, like working in business as well, but it's very, very different when it's your own thing. But that bug you speak of, a hundred percent, I relate. There's just something where it's kind of like, it's, it, there's nothing once you've tasted this, there's nothing else. You just want to keep pushing. So very happy to learn from you today. But Luke, did you have a follow-up question about uh, the vision forming? Yeah, the, I'd like to, I've been fortunate enough to to know a gentleman over here who's a big entrepreneur, um, you know, property developer, owns the National Basketball League here. And I have a very clear vision on what kind of individual he is. But I'd love to understand when you're in these situations where you're talking about opportunity to invest into some of the ventures that you're doing or you're, you know, pitching your vision, so to speak. I'd love to understand where your mind is going. You know, what is what is going through your head in regards to this is what I need to you know, convey or represent or, you know, because I, I picture a lot of people that might be sitting at home are, are thinking, you know, I'd be petrified if I stand up in front of three people in an office meeting and talk about, you know, my Monday sales whip or whatever it might be. Yet you're sitting here talking about, you know, massive amounts of investment, very, very powerful and influential people. So I'd just love to know a little bit more about your mindset and vision of this is what must happen right now or maybe not. Yeah, it's interesting because you brought up um, the the vision building process as a founder as well as as an investor and as an angel investor and active angel investor. Now, I think it's made me a better operator and understanding the type of metrics that I need to work towards, uh, areas of the business that I need to focus on. And uh, ultimately, one thing that I lean very hard into for angel investing is the founder, right? And, and the team that the founder has been able to attract recruitment is something that I very much value. And as a leader, that's a big part of leadership for me. I think it's hiring the right people, giving them the right tools and getting out of their way, hmm. ultimately, right? Empowering people, using it as a self-development engine for them to be able to uh, pursue their passion and set them up for success where not only their skill set aligns with the company, but they're also extremely passionate about the mission and the you know, the purpose of what we're bringing into the world. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah, as far as, as far as, uh, angel investing is concerned, typically the things that you look at are team traction, technology, market size. For me, anything that I've started, I've just felt like such a strong pull towards, and it's always happened organically, like, uh, share shed without going too into detail. I graduated high school. I backpacked Australia for six months. I had a trip of a lifetime. I stayed with people pretty much the entire trip. I had access to canoes, kayaks, surfboards. I went on bike trips with our neighbors. It was just like this magical trip. And everyone that I stayed with connected me with someone in Cairns or Surfer's Paradise or Malulaba, right? <laughs> or, you know, Melbourne, you name it. And it was just six months of uh, just feeling like I was traveling like a local, right? And I came back home and I watched a TED Talk at the time, it was called Rise of Collaborative Consumption. So now it's called the sharing economy, right? It didn't even have a term back then. I had 30,000 views. I had goosebumps sitting in the back of my entrepreneurship class, my first term at Langara. And just feeling like this is something that I experienced in Australia, but the world hasn't seen yet. The fact that we could use the power of technology not only to help people uh, you know, have access to what I felt while traveling, but to experience it in their own backyard, right? So that was something I was so drawn towards. I went up all, to all my professors. I asked them, how do I learn more about collaborative consumption? Like, no one knew anything about it. So, uh, so I directed a film series as a, as a college project. I went to San Francisco. I met with Airbnb when they were just a startup. I interviewed executives from Facebook and Google, the first ever co-housing setup, the first ever co-working space where the hashtag from Twitter was was recently invented at the time. So it's just like, for me, I, it was like a way of hacking education so that I could learn, but also educate the world on something that I was just like so passionate about at, you know, 19 years old or whatever it was. And that, and that like, that wasn't something where 
um, you know, I saw another idea and I felt like, oh, I should do something similar here in Canada, which you see often, right? Or you, you, you see the world going somewhere and other, a bunch of companies starting in a similar space and you're like, oh, I should jump on this trend. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't not be involved in the sharing economy collaborative consumption at the time. The same is true for key where I just, I saw the opportunity firsthand. And once I understood the first principles of this industry, which is, you know, it takes time to understand, but when the light bulb went off and it clicked, it was something that there's no way I could not bring into the world. And I left my dream job at Airbnb to make it happen. And, uh, and I'll say that as an angel investor, as I think about vision building and think about companies I invest into, if you were pitching me an idea where you're saying, Hey, we're going to, I'm, I'm starting a company to help people do workout classes at home, just making something up. That'd be really hard for me to get excited about because everyone and their dogs are starting out, a, starting a company to help you work out at home. <laughs> at least like in, the opportunity is all over a year late because the world's opening up again compared to if you told me a story, well, you know, having your, your first child and whatever, you know, managing uh, technology in a certain way and like seeing some opportunity that hit you, that it feels like there's a trend towards, but the world hasn't realized it yet. Really what, if there's an inflection point and there's almost like a moment in time where you have interesting insight that other people don't have, that's exciting. And that's usually when there's a calling to go and pursue something. Intuition. Yeah, yeah, a level of intuition and a level of uh, almost like market pull in a way, right? Mm, because what you, you've said it several in, in several different ways, but like not specifically saying like your gut, but you seem to really kind of go to where you're pulled as opposed to forcing it. Yeah, I mean, for, for me with, um, with leaving Key to, uh, we're leaving Airbnb to start Key with my co-founder, I went to the most trusted people in my life, um, you know, my dad, my brother, uh, my past investors, and I'll say that um, that there was almost mentor whiplash. You know, we I had people that I respect a ton and still respect to this day who were adamant that I that I don't leave Airbnb, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I have my dad and brother, on the other hand, who are like, go for it. You know, like, if this is something you want to do, make it happen. And it's like, not not fully logical, um, especially with like Airbnb supposed to IPO in the coming years, which obviously uh, was was a great event. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think it's, it's ultimately something that um, is it, here, here's the point that I want to make actually with that is ultimately no one knows better than than you know yourself and people can only help pull, pull that out of you and sean you know this better than anyone as a coach right like you don't tell people this is what you should do um and i'm active within the tech community and with the you know entrepreneurship ecosystem and i'm on the board of eo which is the largest entrepreneur group in the world and in eo the word should is banned right you actually if you say should someone will say like hey you just should all over me you know <laughs> it's like it, Get rid of it, should. It it's how could, right? Yeah. Like you just literally bring that to people. Make it a question. Um, always. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that, right? It's like helping bring it out of them and, uh, and, and see what someone really wants and, and helping them, you know, pursue the things that light them up and, and get them most excited. Yeah. I've got um, one more before I'll, I'll throw it back to Sean. So you've mentioned um, like a number of really powerful words, you know, freedom, autonomy, strength. You know, these are things that I presume you live by and maybe instilled from, you know, family. But when have those, you know, values been really challenged, you know, where you're like, okay, you know, autonomy and freedom, you know, might be nice to have, um, but I'm being really challenged and maybe, you know, the weight is buckling me a little bit. Has any of that you know, mm -hmm. occurred? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I did an exercise a number of years back called the painted picture and it's defining your life as crystal clear as you can possibly make it. Came from Brian, Brian Scudamore at 1-800-GOT-JUNK where he felt like, why isn't the world going to plan? Why isn't his business where he fired everyone and rehired them and just like, why isn't it working out? And he's on his parents' uh, dock um, at their cottage. And and uh, what he realized is that things aren't going to plan because he doesn't have a plan. So he wrote out this date, let's say, you know, August 1st, 
2024 and he just wrote like the conversations happening at the water cooler he said that he he he's in 30 cities he just went and gave oprah winfrey a hug like he had no idea how these <laughs> things were going to happen but he just described a day in the life and uh he went back so excited he showed his team and uh he let go of half his team afterwards right there's the people who lit up and said this is possible and we're going to make it happen and the people who are just like oh brian's crazy this will pass and not into it and they went from one city to within three months of that year, uh, that three-year date that they set, they hit their 30th city. So they went from 29 to 30 cities. Uh, he got onto the Oprah show. He gave Oprah a hug. Uh, someone, they, they did it as a team building exercise where they all came up with these ideas. And one of, someone was like, let's, let's get on a Starbucks cup. Let's, let's just be everywhere. And sure enough, they got a quote from Brian Scudamore on the little uh, sleeve that goes on a Starbucks cup. So it's, it's really cool, the power of intention. And, and part of doing that exercise, so Brian Scudamore is a, a close mentor of mine based out of Vancouver. Uh, I won a student entrepreneurship competition and received coaching from his team and himself. And um, part of that was defining your values and using your values as a filter in all decisions that you make. So it was, it's really cool to hear um, the fact that you just leaned into the idea of freedom because freedom is one of my core values. Growth, contribution, freedom are like my top three. And then I'd say loving relationships. Uh, and that's just being honest with myself with, uh, you know, loving relationships with the environment and the net positive impact that I have on the world as a whole. And then honesty, it's something that just means so much to me. If I was ever accused of like lying as a kid, it would just eat me alive. You know, it's just like, um, it's just like so important for me to be honest with myself and others, but growth, contribution and freedom, those are like my pillars, right? And, and you ask a question of when there is a, a conflict with freedom. Hmm. Ultimately, freedom has its responsibilities. You know, to create a life of freedom, you have to sacrifice freedom at many times, right? I actually, I had a software engineer in our company and something went wrong and it was impacting people as, as it does. And, and you know, I had a, he was leaving the office at three o'clock to go play his men's league basketball, which I totally encourage him to do. Um, and uh, yeah, we found out about this and he, he just left and that was fine. And he found out about it and I found out that he didn't go to his basketball game, went home and, and solved this like critical issue that was happening and he messaged me saying hey i skipped my basketball game and i and i you know figured this out freedom has its cost which he, he told me you know which is like awesome that he got it and that's like what being an owner is you know like taking true ownership is understanding um that freedom doesn't mean you know lie on the couch and watch netflix all day because you choose to it's um for me it's it's the balance of freedom contribution and growth and, you know, growth is chasing my potential and um, and contribution is working on things that move society forward in a meaningful way. And you can't have that with just like, you know, chilling at all inclusive um, and hanging out. Right. It, it, it comes from uh, it comes from getting after it and pushing. So effort effort it, it's also amazing though you 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 get really granular on vision and knowing core values and all of the things that you're chasing and, and you break it down so granularly it's amazing though how many fly blind like how many people have mm -hmm. like the loose kind of this would be nice to happen or you know that would be okay to have happen do you look for that when you bring people in like when, when you're bringing people onto your team um what are some of the questions that you ask these people to take on an important role with something like key which is you know brand new right so you got to believe in this vision yeah, yeah. and uh you know like be a good cultural fit or this could have big repercussions so you know, absolutely and there's so many people that are and and not to uh point the finger or pass judgment at all right to each their own which is a quote that i love and i live by right so if people want to hang on the couch and watch Netflix all day, I actually like, I don't judge that behavior. Um, sometimes I just want, I wish that I could like help people like flip the switch though, to understand how power how powerful intention can be. Like I get into the back of an Uber or Lyft and I'm driving somewhere and I hear just like top 40 on the radio. Like, and it's, by the way, songs get stuck in my head like so easily that I just like, you're trying to sleep at night and then some like terrible song will be playing in my head. 
but I just wish that I could like introduce them to podcasts that were having conversations like this, you know, around like personal development, introducing them to the painted picture and understanding what their values are so that they're, and yeah, especially, I, I mean, I talked to a lot of people in the world of finance, right? We talked to large institutional investors, um, you know, huge pools of, uh, you know, uh, where they don't write smaller checks than a hundred million dollars and they don't invest in portfolios less than 2 billion. Right. And their entire life has just been a grind. They, they leave their um, jacket on the, on the seat when they're leaving their office as an investment banker, because they don't want anyone to feel like they're going home because they're coming right back. They're just going to get some takeout or they don't leave the office with a gym bag over their shoulder because it looks like they have enough time to be working out and taking care of themselves, you know? Um, and then, and then it usually gets to a point where something happens and like a, like a health event or a health event and someone, a loved one in their family and they go, what am I working towards? You know? Um, and, and unfortunately, usually that happens all too late. I have a friend, he runs 120, uh, mango tree organic farm in, uh, in Florida. And he was very high up at uh, Credit Suisse. And then he, he hit a moment in time where he realized that he was miserable. Uh, and it actually came from coaching and counseling that Credit Suisse paid for uh, to Credit Suisse's credit, right? And he coached through, like, why do I, my entire life, I've been wanting this dream of like just farming and being in touch with the environment. And I have all the means to make it happen, but I just can't do it. That's a powerful question that actually led him to now pursuing his dream by running a, a you know, a mango farm in Florida that, uh, that most people just don't even get to the point, that level of awareness of understanding, um, you know, why their sleep quality is so crappy and uh, why they're short with their kids, right? Like, where is this coming from? What's that underlying emotion where you're not satisfied with, uh, with where you're at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but, most people's self-talk is, uh, is not very strong, sadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, and yeah, you know the power of affirmations and visualization and just understanding, uh, you know, where you, where you want to go and how you're going to get there and not being, we're all our own toughest critic, right? Uh, so giving ourselves the space to be able to try and fail instead of fail to try where most people go wrong. What was the first part of your question, though? We talked a little bit about intentionality. And then there is a second part to that that I think I missed. Well, no, j- just about the, you know, like when you're bringing somebody on for a concept like yeah, key, right. is key, key, I mean, I, give it a little bit of a, of a company description. I'd love you to describe it and do it more justice than what, you know, I'm going to just kind of describe. But like, basically, to put it into layman's terms, you guys are helping people become investors in real estate, you know, in their own homes that would likely not believed they would have had a chance to be homeowners, right? Like uh, you, you read a lot of stories like that about people becoming homeowners at key. And uh, as well, it's, it's, it's very easy for them to move on from it, having built some equity right. that they get to take with them. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting model. Um, you know, I, I would like my, my financial mind and like investor side of me would love to just like dig into the financials <laughs> and, and see how right. this all works. But we're obviously not going to go there. But first part of the question, was you know how does somebody have to think like to what to what level do you dig into their thinking and decision making and and pq if you will which is a new burgeoning kind of another way to look at 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 things uh how do you decide on who is a fit culturally like it's not a decision you must take lightly for sure so we we won't hijack the conversation with key because it can we can peel back the onion as deep as you want to go but for listeners sake key's a moonshot as we discussed throughout this entire conversation uh we're a fintech company we've actually built technology to replace a conventional mortgage and we've created a new model for home ownership where someone can own a home with just fifteen thousand dollars without qualifying for a mortgage or ever having to have a mortgage. Uh, So the way that it works is co-equity model. So you have passive investors who co-own the suite with the owner resident. So as an owner resident, you can buy a home with just 2.5%. You still pay rent, but your rent is determined by how much you own. So let's say if you didn't own any of your suite, you'd be paying market rent. Um, You have to at least own 2.5% of your suite. So essentially you're receiving a 2.5% to what would be almost like a market rent, we call it financing costs. And uh, if you owned 100% of your suite, you would be rent free. 
uh, you just have to pay the baseline taxes and condo fees analogous to if you paid off your mortgage. But unlike a mortgage, you're not paying years more interest than principal. You're not tied in for a long period of time. You don't pay six to 8% buy sell costs from uh, the, all the middlemen that are involved in the home buying experience, right? Real estate brokers, mortgage brokers, legal. Uh, so it's frictionless. It's uh, We just recently had a young single mom pulled over on the side of the road on her iPhone and she bought a house in 15 minutes with $15,000. And she's an Instacart shopper making $45,000 a year. So like home ownership in downtown Toronto for her has meant drive till you qualify and wait years saving up when uh, when it takes 24 years now on average to save up for a down payment. And most people like an Instacart shopper, um, Uber driver, Lyft, nurses, teachers, firefighters, like the first service foundation of these cities are getting squeezed out and their income isn't actually going up at the same rates as housing prices. So they're actually getting further and further out of reach, usually on a yearly basis from ever being able to own. And the American dream of home ownership is real in our culture. Like we want it. It's actually the foundation of the middle class, which is why we have a shrinking middle class right now. Cities like Vancouver, we have billions of dollars of a wealth divide that's taken place over the last decade, the last 10 years. It used to take four years to save up for a down payment in Vancouver, and now it takes 29, right? So anyways, I think the, the problem is well understood around the world. We've been pulled to uh, Mongolia, to Italy, to you know South Africa. I had a conversation today with a group based out of South Africa. And, uh, and the entire world, for the most part, is... Um, it values home ownership, but they're just squeezed out. So uh, that's what we've built. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's super challenging. There's, you know, working with all three levels of government, working with groups outside of uh, Canada. Um, ultimately, where we're going is creating a global network where you could graduate college and you don't even have to buy a couch. You can subscribe to furniture as a service. You can move from a bachelor to a one, two or three bedroom because you started a family or you could shrink back down and age gracefully in place without being house poor because you have access to capital as you need. And every month, apologies for not making this more clear, every single month you choose if you want to buy more of your suite or sell some of your suite directly in our app. So every month you can choose, hey, I just got a $5,000 bonus or inheritance. I'm going to own more of my suite, which is compounding in value with what the real estate market's doing. And at the same time, I'm receiving more of a reduction in rent because I own more. Or I want to sell 20 grand and go travel the world or fund my wedding. So that's the way key works from a high level. Uh, from a hiring perspective, we need, we need A players. We need people who are... Uh, tenacious and share our values, which we've uh, clearly defined and uh, and resonate with our mission that want to be part of something bigger than themselves and want to want to swing for the fence. Um, we say uh, we say get it, want it and capacity to do it. So anyone that we have on our team, we want to make sure it's the right the right people in the right seats. Right. Truly sort of good, good to great philosophy. Jim Collins, I was going to say that that was yeah. ringing in my ears. <laughs> Exactly. And we, we follow something called the, the WHO methodology. So uh, there's a book called, um, it's called WHO. Uh, it's uh, the, the approach to hiring A players, right? It's, um, it's a way that it's an evolution from a book called Top Grading. And the idea is like, first of all, top of funnel. Like it's really hard to hire the right people when you only have like two or three candidates in front of you. So make sure that you have a hundred plus candidates for every, for any role that you're looking to hire. And then it's running a process. So I will, I'm very involved and I'll be a, as involved as I can for a long time. We're a 20 person team right now. And, uh, and there's not a person that we've hired that I haven't been, you know, part of that process. Personally, the way that I like to interview and everyone on the team is a little bit different, but the one thing that I cover is going almost like the conversation we've had today is going back to the like earliest childhood memory and trying to find repetitive themes throughout their life and understanding what they truly value and what their core competencies are and creating a not just a job description, but a scorecard on how they're going to be measured. So you can actually score them based on your best assumptions on how you think they're going to perform and the role that you're hiring them for. And that's where everyone goes wrong. They don't actually know what most people are going to be measured on. Uh, so they're hiring a little bit blind just back to our conversation around intention. And another thing that I, I uh, try to get really clear on 
is, uh, is just like a day in the life, what it will look like. Um, you know, we're, we're a venture backed FinTech company. Are we like suit wearing briefcase holding finance guys? Are we like real estate guys that are, you know, um, whatever, whatever sort of stereotype you want to apply to that. Um, are we tech guys that are wearing hoodies and like coding all day and playing ping pong and happy hours and vegan muffins, you know, um, or is it, or is it something that's unique to our culture, which is, which it always is, right? Every company is different. Um, and we want to create a space where where people can learn and grow and contribute and move on to another company one day and there's not shame involved in that you know and and hopefully leaving a much better person holistically um and uh, and contribute while they're here so um so what just to go one layer deeper and i'll, I'll make this part quick but this is where i spend the root of my time i'll, I'll do a, a quick 15 minute sometimes 30 minutes but i try to do a quick 15 minute call just to weed people out when we have a large top of funnel and the idea is just i pull up their resume or their linkedin and i ask them on a scale of one to ten what would um what would their manager rate them based on their performance mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter the number. What matters is the context behind the number. So then you just keep, it's almost like positive interrogation. You're like, oh yeah, tell me more. Then what happened? And why is that? And like, um, then what did you do? Right. And then the next, and then what you do after, you know, asking them on a scale of one to 10, what their manager would rate them. And you ask for their manager's name, you ask how to spell it. Like you make it so it's real and you could contact their manager. Then you ask them to score their manager. So on a score to one to 10, what would you rate Sean? um as a, as a leader and then you just keep and then you what's this is revealing is not about the leader it's about what they look for in good leadership and how are you setting them up for success right uh, what type of environment do they thrive in and by asking good questions like i just got off an interview with a software engineer who um who based on the score to his manager, I found out he had a pretty big fight with another software engineer and they had to be separated. And like, we got really deep into that and he was sharing like so openly and naturally, right? So you uncover a lot, you uncover a ton from just like positive, nice, and, uh, and I don't want to say interrogation, but that's what, you know, you're just getting more and more out. And ultimately what you're trying to get to is understand if it's a, if it's a fit for both sides. Um, so it's not like they're just like, they need this job at key and this is the only job. Like you don't want to hire someone if, if they're not going to do well in their job or else that just creates a ton of anxiety and not the best work environment. Mm -hmm. So I can keep, I can keep going on the hiring process, but no, uh, no, 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 really uh, passionate about. no, I, I think you've absolutely nailed it. Uh, I was going to ask Luke, do you want to, uh, do you want to introduce a, a quote? Because we do. Uh... Yeah, ab absolutely. So, you know, we usually ask for some quotes from the greats and those quotes are usually, um, you know, things that resonate or have shaped our lives or, or whatever it might be. But I know that Sean's got one um, that you, you provided him. Sean, if you want to fire away and we'd love to get the thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, always, I always like to chew, like, you know, chew on a good quote, right. And like, like pull some, uh, some amazing meaning from it. So this is the one you provided us. Entrepreneurship is a personal development engine disguised as a business endeavor, uh, by author James Clear, who atomic habits, uh, I assume you've read and I assume you've implemented uh, elements. So, uh, what, what does that quote kind of mean to you? How does that speak to you about you? Yeah, James Clear. I love the book Atomic Habits. It's a super quick read. And just his theme of 1% better is something that my wife Lucy and I focus on a daily basis. Every day it's like, how can we get 1% better? Everything from like our work environment to our nutrition to our workouts to like, you know, there's just there's just endless room for continuous improvement. Um, and we do a weekly accountability meeting where we actually go through like, okay, what's our week look like? What can we hold each other accountable for? Usually we have a foundation that's relatively consistent. Like what's the five things that we're hitting every day, whether that be like meditation, finding stillness, 10,000 steps, working out, uh, you know, it's, a, it's usually the same sort of buckets journaling. Um, and, uh, and any other goals, right? Like eating the frog first thing in the morning. But the idea of, um, so James Clear has an amazing mailing list. Like I unsubscribe for everything, but I can't not read his emails <laughs> that come through. And they're just very concise and everything is just gold. And one of them was this idea that business 
is a personal development engine disguised as a business endeavor, right? Or entrepreneurship is, is disguised as a business endeavor, but it's really around personal development and growth. And it resonated with me because most business challenges are actually personal challenges. Hmm. So instead of asking, um, you know, why is my CFO so unreliable? It's why do I have such a hard time holding people accountable who are older than me? Right. Or it's asking like, what is, what is the, if you're taking absolute ownership over the situation, what's the introspective question that you need to ask yourself? Mm. Cause it's usually not about someone else and them not doing their job. It's more, it's on <laughs> as a leader, it's on you. Right. Mm. Um, and, uh, and why do, why do I have such a hard time letting someone go when I know they're not a right fit and they're, they're uh, struggling in their role, whatever it might be. Why do I have such a hard time having difficult conversations with people I like, or why do I value being liked compared to holding people accountable? You know, I'm just making things up on the spot, but that's, that's the idea of like, I think leaders who get it are the ones that are asking themselves the introspective questions and um, that takes a lot more personal development than it does like an MBA and understanding business. Mm-hmm. Actually, like what, what you say just makes me think of a Tony Robbins quote that I, I share with clients always. And that's that you can tell the quality of one's life by the quality of questions they ask themselves. And you've been start to finish talking about that introspection, checking in with self, you know, creating a state of, of clarity that if you read any of Brandon Bruchard's work, right, like speaks to, you know, a linear pattern between high achievers is that habit of clarity. It's not better for yourself, but it's the idea of talk, getting out of the office is talking to customers. It's understanding what works and what doesn't work. So that's, that's a personal development engine applied to business where you're actually seeking to understand before you're seeking to be understood and applying that lean startup methodology, not to business, but to your own life, it can only go up. Right. And that just comes with introspection and asking the right questions and being honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pass it right over to Luke in a second here, but that's just, that's the switch you were talking about earlier, right? Like when I work with clients, that's the, like you, you're digging, right? You're digging, trying to really kind of get them to open up, to figure out where is it? It's in there somewhere, but like you have to decide, right? You have to decide because it's, it's daily. It's a daily thing. But, uh, Luke, sorry, there's, I know there's a question you wanted to ask. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice segue. So boardroom presentation stage or the great outdoors, where would you rather be? (laughs) <laughs> the great outdoors come on now oh i thought that but i'm not going to let you off the hook that easy yeah. D- talk to us talk to us about what the great outdoors represents to you why is it so special yeah i mean having grown up in british columbia i think there's a level of um just innate um comfort that comes from being in nature um I love pushing myself in nature and the adventure side. I love adventure travel. Um, you know, I was made fun of for it quite a bit at Airbnb and, you know, in a poking fun way, but I was always like just making the most of my trips, <laughs> you know, like anywhere I go, I'd always push it a little bit further, you know, get into some pretty ridiculous adventures at times or, you know, spend instead of flying back, right away spend an evening and you know uh, just see all the the great things that that are offered in in life you know and it's, whether it be the smoky mountains in north carolina or you know getting after it and on a trip to china and trying to you know explore a bamboo forest right uh so we're biking so- 100 kilometers uh, uh across the great wall of china too that casually throw that in <laughs> yeah that's a great that's actually a great example um I was at the G20 YEA in, in China. Everyone was going to the Forbidden City. I've been there, done that, you know, not to discount it, but I was just ready to like really get after experiencing nature in China. And and uh, yeah, just an incredible, incredible opportunity where I was meeting with the CEO of Sanfo, which is the um, Chinese equivalent of um of REI or Mountain Equipment Co-op. And next thing you know, he had a 100K race along the Great Wall of China that I found myself on. And it took me 27 hours nonstop to finish this race. And I had to go at a, a certain speed to be able to make my flight home. Uh, so didn't sleep. And uh, and yeah, like what an adventure. At first, this could be a much longer story. So I'll just leave it at, I thought it was going to be a 10K. 
and uh, <laughs> I was nervous for the 10k because I don't run <laughs> and I wasn't in running shape so it's like it destroyed me um, but like a weekend that obviously I'll never forget and have just the most amazing memories um, and and chapters of that weekend that you know heat wave in the during the day freezing cold in the mountains at night um, but yeah, so, so the outdoors for me just represents adventure and making the most of an absolute day. Yeah. And you, you got to earn it, right? Like you got to earn it. The best things are earned and you, you earned that memory. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Definitely. You know, what we still got to do one day. We've got to do that 42 kilometer pipe run from oh. Souk to Victoria. <laughs> Believe me, I, uh, I've been thinking about it quite a bit. Um, I have, it has not left my mind since you're like, you want to run it? And I was like, that would kill me. But yeah, let's do it. Let, let's yeah. done. I'm into that one day. We're doing okay. Uh, committing to that right now. We are doing that one day. <laughs> Sounds good. No, I, I definitely it's on the list, and I'm I'm uh, I'm game. Um, awesome. Just uh, yeah, just for Luke, your your uh, your benefit here. There's an Australian actually. He runs a, an amazing little community of just doing crazy things outdoors, and he uh, just found it crazy that he doesn't know much about the history of his area and the railroad tracks that existed and that's the foundation of why this town exists and he decided to run this old railway line that happens to be a marathon and uh film himself doing it to then be able to educate his town and the world around the history of where he lives that everyone has forgotten um so anyways for my brother stag we were ziplining and there was a there was a, a water line that cut through the zipline area and the top of it didn't have moss, like it was covered in moss, but the top was bare. And that's because uh, it's pretty much the entire water line makes, I think it was 42 kilometers, so almost a marathon. And because it's a water line, it's actually public land. So you're cutting through all these mountains and beautiful terrain uh, that you're allowed to run or, or mountain bike. So that's what Sean and I just committed to doing. <laughs> well, if, mm. if I can get on a plane, I'll count me in, but... I'm not sure if that'll be any time soon. It'd be absolutely wild way to spend an afternoon, I'll tell you that. It'd be a lot yeah, of fun. It'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So we're uh we're we're getting near the end here, my friend. As a what 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 more gold can we can well, we I have, I have one I have one more, Sean, unless Please. Um, so I, I was having a look through your some of your social stuff. Again, I hope this is correct because you just never know. Um you know, much of what we've spoken about has certainly been business related and there's been, you know, some family stuff and some philosophy and certainly, you know, what life has been built on for you. So, you know, I appreciate that. However, back in November 2020, um, I read this, once again, we're sleeping outside on the streets of Toronto to support homeless youth and fight sex trafficking. This is certainly a very powerful gesture, you know, to raise awareness and support change and education and, you know, begin a movement, join a movement, you know, be the pointy part of a movement whatever that might be but how did this come about is this something that that you're still doing within this space is that part of your ambition i know there's a lot to that question so um you know i'd love yeah. to hear i know it's uh the thank thank you for bringing that up um and uh, I'm, I'm pretty quiet on social. So when you mentioned that you found something on social, I was like, I don't know how relevant this is going to be. Or yeah, but it's probably like one of the last things I tweeted, even though it's, you know, almost a year ago. Um, yeah, it holds a very special place in my life. Um, you know, just, just, you know, opening up and Sean has a lot of contacts from being a close family friend, but uh, my mom ran a group home throughout my childhood. And it was like the group home for the worst kids that, um that didn't have a home that were kicked out of every other group home and this was their like last their last chance to like stay out of jail or out of alleys and uh so after high after elementary school i'd often go to the group home and um you know the kids were always good with me but there was often cops there and people punching holes in walls and all teenagers right another one's pregnant again or in a fight or got stabbed and uh, my mom just had this like incredible patience and i'd walk down on the downtown east side in vancouver poorest postal code in the entire country main and hastings area and you couldn't walk a block without someone like running up and giving her a big hug and just like talking about like what impact she had on on their lives so um unfortunately my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given a month to live and and uh lived lived it only a couple months and um 
At the time, I signed up to do the Covenant House Sleepout, which is to raise money for homeless youth. So specifically youth under the age of, of 24. I actually wasn't allowed to do it the first year for it's an executive sleepout, but I was the youngest person to ever get invited to do it because like media is a bit of a prestigious event in, in Canada, at least. And um, I wasn't allowed to do it because I was the age of the youth that could be in there that I could have gone to high school with and, and have known. Uh, but the next year, the, the year, it was actually the night that my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer um, that, uh, that I slept outside. And for me, like, you know, I raised money for it and, and still like honored that commitment and went out and spent a night like, you know, skipped the entire event because it was like, you know, six o'clock that my mom was diagnosed. And at like, you know, 11 p.m., I show up in an alley and I'm sleeping outside and media is all there and they're interviewing a bunch of leaders like the owner of the Vancouver Whitecaps and large developers or whoever it might be. And everyone's talking about how hard it is to sleep on like a hard surface and just having a piece of cardboard, even though there's like, you know, the chief police officer is there and it's like so well protected and you have hot tea and coffee. And it made me just go like, this is not hard. It's not about like the hard surface or the fact that the city's loud at night. Like that sucks. And I've had a very crappy night's sleep without a doubt. Uh, and I have every year since, but it's, uh, it's about like not having family. It's about not having friends. It's about not knowing where your next meal is going to come from and just being set up for such failure that I couldn't even come close to resonating or empathizing with because of the level of support that I mentioned at the beginning, right? Like the type of childhood that I had. Um, so for me, it just pulled on my heartstrings in the sense that, um, I've been so fortunate and, um, you know, how, at what age are we going to give a damn about youth that are homeless and you mm -hmm. just see them and you walk right past them, you know? Um, and it's like, if you saw a baby on, on the street, you'd like sure as hell do something, but you no. see like a 13 year old in an alley and it's like second nature. We're just like onto our meeting. And after doing that event, I started seeing people like for the first time, it feels like, um, that I just had no idea how bad this, this situation is for homeless youth and especially sex trafficking, which is almost like a taboo topic where mm -hmm. you think it happens in like Eastern Europe or like the Middle East sex trafficking. You watch these movies, but no, it happens here in our own backyard and the way these young women get looped into uh, to, to a situation they can't get out of is, uh, is terrible. And there's a solution, right? There's like the covenant house has the most incredible program and the most powerful success stories, and they just need capital to expand it. There's just like never enough support, um, or government, government dollars. So when I think about philanthropy, it's like, this is an investment. This is an investment in people's lives, right? And how can you have the best return on capital for whatever your investment by, might be, whether it's investing in uh, you know, Africa to help people see again, which is usually a great return on dollars or in your own backyard with a very small amount of money that can actually help someone get out of being sex trafficked, right? So I'll always be involved in Covenant House. I've since joined the board um, in Toronto and their corporate, uh, committee here. And yeah, really grateful for all the work that they do. I really, really love hearing that Daniel. Thank you. Um, I'm actually a, a group of, uh, few friends that we're close with are actually starting to take on the project of, uh, funding uh, a school in Zambia to eat for a year while they're at school, uh, working through a, a charity that just kind of focuses on these developing nations where, you know, kids, especially girls just can't eat when, like, you know, like they, they don't go to school and eat. So they're, they're, they're trying to learn, uh, you know, with an empty stomach. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm really starting to get you on the, the contribution and it's really starting to become a major part of, of my life as well. And it, it really does change the game. Like it really does change the game when you start looking at you know how you can serve and how you can help other people and uh yeah i think that's something that you know i'm just, I'm just glad i found it but you know it seems like it's it's a core pillar to what you do but uh no, just, but, just on that point sean like it, it's great that you uh that you're doing that and you know thank you for doing that what's crazy is like most people don't realize that like none of this matters you know like we're here for a finite period of time and we're all going the same direction you know like none of us making it out alive yeah exactly none of us are making it out alive unless like you know there's some crazy advances in technology unless elon actually does the brain chip and something else happens yeah. and who knows right it's gonna be yeah, a wild ride 
we totally reverse aging and we can live forever and you know we're a multi-planetary species but for the most part while we are here on this planet that um, we've uh, we've been somewhat destroying in a pretty meaningful way um, there's a whole hell of a lot that we can do to actually support the people that and the the you know the environment that we share this earth with right um and uh and, you know, as soon as you shift your mindset where it's not about measuring dollars made, but lives changed, usually you'll probably make more money that way. Um, but uh, you'll probably make more friends and have a better legacy and, and uh, impact on the world. Awesome. Well, it's, that kind of feels like a really good place to start to, to land this thing. But, um, you know, I think we'll start to bring it to a close. Daniel, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on uh, it's been amazing i think we could have spoken for four hours let alone it's an hour and a bit but really appreciate your time from across the other side of the planet um, i know sean's got one more question to kind of take us home that you may be touching on then but sean take us home. there's a, a little bit of advice daniel for for a listener whether they're you know thinking about being an entrepreneur one day or uh just you know living a, a life of meaning and, and looking back on one that they can, uh, you know, they can be proud of. And uh, the show is, is called, you know, Conversations for a Better Tomorrow. So for listeners out there, how does someone start to create a better tomorrow for themselves starting from tomorrow? Yeah, maybe it's just a recency bias of speaking with you and your experience in coaching. But I think it's it can be really hard to make a meaningful change uh, without a bit of support or accountability, buddy. And being able to reach out for support and in helping uh, find someone that can hold you accountable to living a meaningful life and whatever that means for you, right? It doesn't have to be um, starting a company. It's it's great to be an entrepreneur or, or to be an employee and contributing, you know, in, you know, in, in a in a different fashion, right? Um, and back to that idea of to each their own. But what's important is that you just um, you know that you're honest with yourself and. What I was speaking on a panel recently, and this is maybe the, the last thing that I'll end on here, is just um, the panel ended with everyone's last piece of advice. And someone mentioned, you have to find the overlap between what you're good at, what the world wants, and what makes money. And like, that's your purpose. And then and the next person said the same thing. Like, I can't say anything better than the advice of just understanding your superpower and what people will pay for and what you're really passionate about. And, and uh, the, so, so it was like kind of interesting. I forget what my, my piece of advice was, but like three people in a row all said the same thing. And then the last person said like, my concern is that we have a generation of people who are so focused on finding their one purpose that it's creating anxiety. And uh, it's, it's like unfair, um, it's an unfair expectation that we're putting on ourselves. And I've experienced that firsthand with having people on my team that have struggled so hard with trying to find out like what exactly, why do they exist on this planet? And like, what is the purpose of life for them? And they have to find their purpose that, um, that, that I don't think it's healthy. You know, I think it's important that we're honest with ourselves and 1% better, but just like being a good person is enough. Like just the, just having the mindset that you are enough and that you have enough and, you know, by like opening up the door for your neighbor and smiling is like enough. Um, and if you can just focus on like 1% better and not put so much pressure on understanding exactly what your values are and your mission and purpose and, you know, and having to have that figured out tomorrow is, is just unrealistic. So my, mm. my leaving advice would be, you know, if you can find someone uh, that you can lean on to help you develop and chase your potential then great um and uh yeah just don't take it too seriously amazing i'm gonna i'm gonna pass it to luke for the send-off but i you know i promise i did not plug you on that i'm gonna take that little snippet that you said about accountability and uh you know have my clients listen to that because i coach them on the importance of accountability and how if you want to keep this momentum going using the consistency principle that drives us humans and utilizing the power of accountability could just change your life so Thank you for sharing that last little bit. I'll be leveraging that, Daniel. Thank there, you. There's a reason why the Navy SEALs still have accountability buddies. You know, even the most driven, hardcore people in the world are still relying on someone holding them accountable. There's a reason why the top CEOs in the world have coaches. And there's a reason why Olympic athletes aren't trying to do it themselves as well, right? So I, uh, I'm a big fan of, of coaching for many different aspects of life. Mm -hmm. That could not have been a better end. Luke. 
Beautiful. Awesome. Well, I love that that thing that you said towards the very, very end. You are enough. And if you're sitting at home listening to this, this is absolutely a story about being enough. So I thank the listeners, everybody, if you've enjoyed this, uh, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your cousins, tell everybody about it. We'll see you in a few weeks. But as always, be safe, be present, be you and Sean. Be fulfilled. Beautiful. Daniel, Sean, thank you. Bye for now. See ya. Thanks, Daniel. Cheers.